0: You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Good morning. Jeff's making me turn on my digital leash here. (laughs) Yeah, I'm serious. (laughs) He's like, okay, here's here's this app I want you to have. Oh, it's at three minutes. That's not good. Maybe good for you, not good for me. Sorry. Now he's. Uh, see, I don't even know how to use it. There we go. Good morning. Uh, my name is Pastor Barry, and I serve as one of the elders here at Redeemer. And today, I have the privilege of filling in for Pastor Jeff. And I we're doing this because this is my first time to do since we switched to the three services. So, kind of getting ad- adjusted to this kind of a uh, a, sh- a shorter shorter messages. Of course, I, the good thing, I don't know if it's good or bad for you, it's the last time I was kind of, the first time to do the three services, I'm going to cut back my, my messages. Um, you know, I kind of overtrimmed it, so if I got the first service and I'm like, whoa, I got some time here, I can, I can stress, so you guys get the little fuller version today, I can have the things I wanted to say and couldn't, I'm like, wow, I'm going to feel un, unleashed here. Um, well, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd ask you to turn to First John chapter 5. Our text today is First John 5, 1 through 5 so if you're familiar with the Bible, First John is located almost right here at the very end of the Bible. just a couple little books page, a couple pages in front of Revelation. Uh, if you're using one of the floor Bibles, it's on page 1023. How's that for easy, huh? So my text today was not um, it's kind of funny, I think it kind of had, unintentionally, it turns out to be, I think, a, probably a pretty natural follow-up to our, the message that Jeff concluded on, on the new heaven and new earth. I've, I really have just been kind of been camping in 1 John for the last two or three months, and um, so it kind of makes sense that I would preach from there, right? Um, but as I got into it, i like, well, wow, it didn't, wasn't the intent. But if you, you know anything about 1 John, really, the book of 1 John is all about assurance. It's about, it's about assurance of faith. How do we know I thought, well, you know, we've just been talking. Jeff's been giving us all this wonderful imagery, and we're kind of getting this glimpse of, of the new heaven and the new earth and kind of excitement for, for what God has prepared for us. You know, how how important is it to, that we should actually know that we know that we know that we are a part of it? Um, and so, so that's the goal. And, you know, fortunately, God has provided a way through His Scriptures that we can be absolutely certain of the destination of our souls. And that is the theme of the book of First John. If there's kind of a thesis statement for the book of First John, it's, it's, it's probably five, chapter 5, verse 13, which says, I write these things to you who believe in the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Isn't that encouraging? That we're, we don't hear this stuff and kind of go, well... I hope that applies to me, or maybe, you're kind of have a guessing of what happens. No, it says that we can know. Um, and that is our text today, as I think really is a, I pick, I chose this text because I think verses 5, 1 through 5, are kind of a summary of, of all the book of John that answers the question, how exactly can we know for certain that we will indeed enjoy all the magnificence of the new heaven and the new earth? So as we do each week, if you're able, I would ask that you stand for the reading of God's word. 1 John 5, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Pray with me. Father... God, thank you, thank you for the glimpses of the, uh, of the new heaven and the new earth that you have provided in your word. In your word, and we have, we have studied and seen so beautifully over the last several weeks. And God, even though all of the details are are limited, what we do know is that in the new heaven and the new earth, that Jesus will be present physically. And that sin will be eternally absent. And that is all we really need for our hearts to to long for that day. So, God, as we study your word today, would you speak to each heart here that hears me? God, for those who are eternally secure, whom you are holding fast, would this passage bring peace and confidence? God, to those who are living with a false sense of security, would you please open their eyes to the peril of their soul and call them to true repentance and trust in you? God, if there are those here who openly reject you, would you humble their hearts today to see the rebellion of their hearts and open their eyes to see you as the the magnificent Savior who longs for all to come to righteousness God, would my words today relay the truth of your word to all who hear? And it's in your holy name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So, um, I don't know about you, but for me, you know, one of the worst parts of seeing a doctor is that moment when the nurse comes in and begins to take your vitals. It's not the doctor that scares me, it's the nurse. Because what do they do? They, they, they take out their little things. They, you know, they start checking your blood pressure and, and your heart rate and your, your breathing sounds. And the whole time, I don't know about you. I'm, just, I'm afraid you're just waiting for that sudden look of dismay or that, for something like, you know, kind of the, uh-oh. Uh, you know, it's, I, I hate that. And if, you know, it's not until I, I don't relax until they, they give me some kind of assurance, I was just talking to someone after the service day. He said, you know, statistically, the doctors know that your blood pressure, they automatically factor in that your blood pressure is actually a little higher than it's supposed to be because everybody. apparently everyone has that same sense of anxiousness. And that's the intent of this message today, that we would allow the Word of God through the words of 1 John to check our spiritual vital signs. And I can tell you, this was indeed the Apostle John's intent for the first century readers. So to give it some historical context, John's writing this. At this point, he's probably, he's in prison, but he, he still keeps in touch with the churches that he ministered to. And, and he wrote this letter because he was made aware that there were, there were some who were part of a particular fellowship who had come to deny the deity of Christ and his claim to be the Messiah. And he'd heard about this, and they were known as secessionists because they had had withdrawn from the fellowship believers, but they were still going around amongst those in the church trying to influence them and proclaiming salvation through good works and openly refuting the notion of Jesus being the Messiah and the only true source of salvation. This was a young church, and it was starting to create some confusion among the believers and causing some to to question the authenticity of their faith and, and if, in fact... Jesus was the son of God that he proclaimed. So John attempts to reassure their faith by examining what we see here is, I would say, three spiritual vital signs. And those vital signs, what we call for today the belief test, the love test, and the obedience test. And what we'll see in our passage today is that we see that all all of these tests are display are on display in, in this passage. And we see that there's an interconnectedness to each one. You can't be strong in one and weak in the other. You say, well, man, I'm knocking out the belief test. I don't, have, I don't want to worry about the love test. No. If, if, if one is absent, they're all absent. The strength or weakness of one reflects the strength or weakness of all of them. So jumping right into our text, right off the bat in, first, in verse one, we see the first one. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. This is the belief test. With the definitive words everyone and has been born of God, our passage assures us right away that we can know for sure that we have been born of God. How? If we believe that Jesus is the Christ. I love those definitive words. It doesn't say that that some who believe or a few who believe. And it doesn't say at the end of it that, that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ may be born of God or could be born of God. It says has been born. Definitive statements. So needless to say, it's critical then that we clearly understand what it means to believe that Jesus is the Christ. Now, Scripture makes it clear that believing that Jesus is the Christ involves more than just intellectually or even verbally acknowledging that he is the Messiah or Christ, For example, I I have no problem acknowledging or proclaiming that that Queen Elizabeth is indeed a queen. But that doesn't make her my queen or indicate in any way that I'm subject to her. And this is the picture we see in James 2.19 that states, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. And then an even more unsettling, more unsettling passage is Matthew 7. If you look at verses 21 through 23, it says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So the frightening part of this passage is that it indicates that there are multitudes of people who are living with a false confidence of their salvation and are heading towards a a horrific surprise on the day of judgment. And from these passages, we learn, we learn two things about eternal security. First, in James, in the James passage, it informs us that assurance doesn't come by intellectually acknowledging the existence of God. It clearly says even the demons acknowledge that. They're by no means have, they certainly don't have assurance of salvation, And then secondly, in Matthew 7, it lets us know that assurance doesn't come through good works or by even verbally acknowledging him as Lord. So that leaves us with this kind of million-dollar question, what does it mean to then to believe that Jesus is the Christ? Let's understand what it it means first. Contrary to some beliefs, Christ Christ is not Jesus' last name, Right? Um, The word Christ comes from the Greek word Christos, meaning anointed one or chosen one. The word Christos is the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew word Messiah, which points to a king or deliverer. So therefore, Christ is an acknowledgement that Jesus is the Messiah, the chosen one of God, sent by God to save his people from their sins. So John's intent in this statement is to make it clear that the secessionists, or as John called them throughout his letter, false teachers or antichrists, they have already clearly shown themselves to be outside of faith and are absolutely not born of God because they don't believe that Jesus is the Christ. That is encouragement. Don't listen to them. Here's the test of faith. You have to believe that Jesus is the Christ. They don't. Stay away. Stay away. But of course, that doesn't address Jesus' strong words in Matthew 7, that not everyone who does verbally acknowledge Jesus as Lord or Messiah will enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's, I think, is why John's premise is that assurance begins first with an acknowledgement that Jesus is indeed the Christ or Messiah, and then it quickly adds the next two vital signs of love and obedience in the rest of verse 1 and 2 so that we can assess if you believe him to be a Messiah or your Messiah. And there is an eternity worth of difference in those, right? Look again at our text. Verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Now, four times in these two verses, we see the word love, twice referring to love for God and twice referring to love for the people of God. You see, love was the missing, is the vital sign that was missing in those Jesus refers to in Matthew 7, to whom he says, depart from me. And why? Why does he say that? Because he says what? I never knew you. In other words, you may have have tried to appease me by calling me Lord and, and doing some things that you thought maybe would earn my favor, but you didn't love me. We weren't in relationship. Because if you were truly my child, you would love me and you would love my other children. So in the context of 1 John, John was was further exposing the fraudulent faith of the secessionists by the fact that not only did they not love the Son of God, but by abandoning the fellowship of believers, they also showed that they didn't love the children of God either. They failed the love test. See what John is tapping into is our is our God given affinity for family. Our families are messy and imperfect, but but they're our family, and we stick together and we love each other no matter what. I saw that on display this week, and some of you, some of you might know this. We're actually this is a this is actually a unique day in the life of Redeemer. We actually for one day are a multi campus church. Um. Redeemer Livingston is meeting even right now. Um, Pastor Kevin is preaching up there. Sorry, it's too late. You can't, if you want to go see here, like, why didn't I go here? Yeah. I'm like, well, too late. You're stuck with me. But they are, uh, if some of you don't know, John and Lori Godbold are celebrating their 40th anniversary. So, in true Godbold Bowl style, the musician Wonder family that they are, they are having this, what they call the big old party. Um, and it's just like a music fest, really. They got they got built a stage and everybody is just It's just a celebration of love and family, and it's just church family. It's a it's it was a really cool thing. I got to be a part of it some yesterday. That's a picture. And what is true of our biological families is also true of our spiritual families. If you've been here for for any length of time, you know that we are messy. We're imperfect, but we're family. And by love and allegiance to the body of Christ and to this specific body of believers, I can tell you far exceeds my loyalty to anyone other than my genealogical family. That's the beautiful picture we see We see in Acts 2, right? Verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And that's just one of the coolest sections in, in all of Scripture? That's family. That's love. That's the picture of family. Now, this may not be a very popular thing to say, But I can tell you, the scripture certainly doesn't seem to stutter here in saying that the authenticity of your love for God is validated by your love for the family of God. Those who claim to be followers of Christ but brazenly avoid church, have no desire to be associated with other Christians, would appear to be on pretty shaky ground. And and those aren't my words. Your relationship with Christ is certainly personal. But hear me, it is never intended to be isolated. It is intended to grow and flourish and manifest itself within the fellowship of believers. We grow in our love for each other. We grow in our love for God by being together. This whole concept of, well, I can worship God alone in the woods. Well, yes, you can, but that's... Put some Bible on that. And this was Jesus' message to Peter in John 21 when he asked Peter three times if he loved him. And each time Peter said, Lord, Lord, you know that I love you. And what was Jesus' response? Get alone with me and worship me by yourself? No. What did he say every time? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. If you really love me, Peter, then love my children. And just in case you think John's statement was just a slip of the tongue, listen to some of his other statements throughout 1 John. 1 John 2 9, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. No stuttering there, is there? 1 John 3.14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. First John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. 1 John 4:20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. And in the Gospel of John, Chapter 13, verse 35, we, hear this famous, we have this famous verse. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. How? If you have love for one another. So love for God and love for the children of God are important vital signs of authentic faith. But we also see in verse 2 another vital sign that we need to monitor. Look at verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God. How? When we love God and obey his commandments. It's not an or, it's an and. So, if obeying his commandments is another vital sign to assess the authenticity of our faith, then like understanding what it means to believe that Jesus is the Christ, it stands to reason we should also want to clearly understand what does it mean to obey his commandments. Fortunately for us, John doesn't leave us hanging on this. Because all you have to do is look two chapters over. In chapter 3, in verse 23, John says this. And this is his commandment. Thank you. What is it? That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Now, you don't have to be a Mensa here to start having the pieces click together and and think, like, wait a minute. Isn't the third vital sign of authentic faith just nothing more than the packaging together of the first two? What it sounds like to me. When John uses the phrase, just as, he has com- just as he commanded us, meaning Jesus, what he's referring to is Jesus' words that are recorded in Matthew 22, starting at verse 34, where he says, When the Pharisees heard, this is Matthew twenty-two thirty-four. 34, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Sounds strangely similar to our text today, doesn't it? See, John is just pointing out that authentic faith requires both commandments to be present. It's not possible to obey one but not the other. It's either or both. Now, there is a hierarchical order there because you can't love people without loving God first. Our love for people comes, overflows from our love for God. But you can't love God and not love people. If you don't love people, then as John clearly says, you don't love God. So some of you maybe track it with me and say, but okay, I get that. But I'm still not sure how this allows me to be certain of the authenticity of my faith. I think the clearest answer to this, I believe, is found in Matthew 16. If you look at Matthew 16, this is where Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. In Matthew 16, starting in verse 13, we read, Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. There it is. That's the key. That's what makes all of this make sense because what is true of Peter is true of all of us. No one comes to this conclusion on their own as 1 Corinthians 12, 3 puts it. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. That's the message of hope and instruction that John is giving his readers. He's saying the secessionists walked away and they denied the deity of Christ because God never revealed it to them. But if you do believe that Jesus is the Christ and has the power to forgive your sins and give you eternal life, it's because and only because God, by his great mercy, has chosen to reveal this to you by the gift of faith, through the Holy Spirit. And that is how you know you're a child of God. And that's why why John can say in verse 3 of our text that his commandments are not burdensome. Look at verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Why aren't they burdensome? Because we're not obeying them by our will or strength, but by his. If we were, we we, we couldn't sing, he will hold me fast, could we? Because then it's up to us, and we're struggling, we're going to lose it. And then look at verse 4 and 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So over what what does it mean to overcome the world? It's just a reference. Overcoming the world is overcoming our sin nature. We cast off, we no longer have a sin nature, we have a love nature. That's why, you know, 1 John is one of the most beautiful and important scriptures in the Bible. 1 John 4.19, we love, why? We love because he first loved us. It's not us. I like to picture it like one of those multi-tiered water fountains that you see someplace. You have the little one on top, and it overflows to a little bigger plate and down to a bigger plate. You see, the source or the top of the fountain occurs when, by God's grace, he opens our eyes to see his infinite love for us. We don't come to him out of fear. We come to him because we see God for who he is. And when we we experience the love of God, it immediately overflows into our love for him. You you cannot experience the love of God without reciprocating it. Not possible. And, And likewise, you can't experience the love of God and not have it overflow into love for people. That's the cascade. We experience God's love for us. We reciprocate with God's love for us, our love for him, and then that naturally just overflows into our love for the people of God and everyone else. This is evidence of grace. This is the message that John recites, reiterates over and over again throughout the book of 1 John. Chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, he's a liar, and the truth is not in him. 1 John 3, 24, whoever keeps his commandments, what are his commandments? Love God, love people. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. 1 John 2, 5 and 6, by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. 1 John 2, 9, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Do you see the confidence in all of these? 1 John 3, 6, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or, know, or, or known him. So we're like, okay, what about this whole sinning thing going on here? How is that? What's, what ha, what's that have to do with this? Well, the sinning has to do with our, what, what is sinning? Sin comes in a rebellion of God, right? If you take the Ten Commandments, if we kill, lie, steal, commit adultery, covet, those aren't defined by love. It's not the love for people. It's not love for God. When God overwhelms our heart, what does Galatians 5 say? We're filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That defines our heart. All these verses are saying, if indeed you are a child of God, you are no longer defined by your prior sin nature you have now have a nature filled with love so as i close today we enter a time of celebrating communion if you're a musician or community attendant you may come forward <clears throat> there may be some of you here who you have always called yourself a christian You know, maybe you recited a prayer when you were a kid. Maybe you were even baptized. But as you sit here today, you realize that neither of the vital signs of authentic faith are present in your life. If you're honest, you're not in love with Jesus. You don't acknowledge him from a heart level as your Lord and Savior. You may say and do some of the things, the right things, in hopes that if if there is a heaven and a hell, then maybe you're covering your bases. But if you're really honest, you don't love God or his people. You might view God a lot more like your, your supervisor at work. You report up to him, and you respect his power over you, but it is anything but a loving relationship between a loving father and a child. But you know, as I speak, if even right now you are feeling convicted, are overwhelmed by the realization of God's incredible love for you, And you're aware that if you confess your sinfulness to God and trust that indeed He is the Christ, He did pay the penalty for your sins by enduring the wrath of God on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago, and He rose triumphantly from the grave to adopt you as His own child, then today is indeed your day of salvation. And you can confidently partake in communion, celebrating your new birth into the family of God, And if you would like to explore that more, our elders will be up here after the service and we would love to talk with you further about that. I hope for most of you this message was greatly encouraging. That you do believe and have welcomed Jesus as your Messiah. You truly love God and you desire to know him and to love him more. And you have a love for the children of God, and you desire to help others grow in their faith or come to faith. You see, communion is a time when once again we remember and we rejoice that we love because he first loved us. And we come to the communion table in great humbleness and great gratitude. I think the beautiful closing words of the book of Jude kind of perfectly summarize our message text today. Listen to this, starting in verse 18. The book of Jude. In the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Pray with me. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.